Hi, I'm Lauren from Cincinnati. I'm David from New York. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me and you if you support it. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Donal Logue, is an exceptionally accomplished actor. His credits are literally dozens of films and television shows. Um, he was the star of the cult film The Tao of Steve. In fact, he won Best Actor at the Sundance Film Festival for his role. He was also on the Fox and later CW sitcom Grounded for Life for many years. Now he's the star of the new FX series Terriers. Terriers pulls off a really neat trick. It's simultaneously light in tone and dark in content and funny and fascinating at the same time. And I think it pulls off that trick thanks in no small part to the very gifted Donald Logue. Logue jumped into the national consciousness of, well, at the very least, people in my age group in the early 1990s when he portrayed a character named Jimmy the Cab Driver on promos for MTV. With his hair slicked back and big glasses on his face in the sweaty front seat of a taxi cab, he held court on music videos and cultural phenomena in 90-second bursts that ran in between music videos. Here's one of the best remembered in which he describes another early 1990s phenomenon, the video for the breeder's hit Cannonball. Oh, sorry about that. So these two gals there, the spitting image of one another, you know? They're going, all time, okay? There's this cannonball running down the street. <laughs> you know, almost takes out this flute player, you know. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> the cannonball coming, watch out, you know. <laughs> People on the street going, gee, what the hell's that? You know, bowling ball? Someone going bowling down the street or something like that. There's one gal, she's having coffee, tea or something with this guy. He's talking and she's like, mm-hmm. uh-huh, yeah, oh, really? You know, but inside she's thinking something else because she goes, hey, right in the face with the coffee to the guy. <laughs> Donald Logue, welcome to The Sound of Young thank America. You, thank you, Jesse. It's great to be here. I was watching Jimmy the Cab Driver videos on YouTube, and um, it's something that's so so small in scale and so kind of epic in in sort of contextual importance. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like such a thing. I do, know what you, I do know what you mean, and it's funny because for those who it is a thing, it's a thing. For those who it isn't, it's completely off their radar, 100%. Describe, describe what it is for those who, for whom it, wasn't, who it isn't a thing. Well, you know, I mean, the, the, the kind of genesis of it was, like, I had gone to uh, college with these two uh, really smart, funny friends of mine, but ostensibly these two rockers, Jesse Parrots, who was in the Lemonheads, and Clay Tarver, who was in Bullet La Volta, and, and then Chavez. And we were all kind of more from a music scene side of things, but I just made them laugh all the time in just kind of riffing in character. And we were going to school in Boston. And then we were down in New York a couple of years later and uh, at a flea market, and I found these glasses, and they were just the perfect, you know, they were just the thing that it was kind of like the efflorescence dropping water on the flower. And I put the glasses on and kind of just pasted my 
um, hair over my head like a comb over and started riffing a la Bostonian style like we used to. And and we were all kind of cracking up. And they said, you know what we should do? This is where they had that moment that kind of uh, – this is where the uh, epiphany was. They said we should get in a car and we should record this thing and we should talk about pop culture and Jesse and Clay together, I think, figured out, like, what we should talk about specifically is this guy watches music MTV, and he takes it. It's kind of the, there's no sense of irony to what he's watching or the way he describes it. And the thing was, and it's kind of been blown, it's so hard in retrospect to look back, but at that time, everything was too hip for school. And just this sense of irony was, that was the only thing comedy was. So to have somebody who was incredibly nerdly and super earnest about something was was kind of radically different. I'm impressed to hear that it came from that, sort of from that object. I heard a really similar story. I, we had the folks who do the uh, very funny Canadian television program, the Trailer Park Boys, in here. And uh, one of the characters from the Trailer Park Boys came from that same thing, somebody picking up a pair of glasses at a thrift store and putting them on. Well, it's weird because they always told me, like, oh, you know, that guy did that before you, Bubbles or whatever. (laughs) But I was like, Bubbles is – the Trailer Park Boys was, like, 1999 or 2000. Right. You know? But, uh, yeah, so I see Bubbles, and I'm like, yeah, you know, there was a symbiotic kind of discovery of – of that, I think he's more pedal to the metal in a weird. Well, I don't know. If I, you know, you know, it also reminds me a little bit of uh, uh, Toby, uh, uh, Harvey Pekar's friend, the original, who was the original nerd on MTV. Yeah, in incredible. The, in the you know, 80s. I actually got cast to play while I was talking to those guys about playing him in um, in American Splendor, and I play. I actually played Harvey in the play version. I, I couldn't do it, but Judah Friedlander did it and was just. He was wonderful. Uh, unbelievable in that movie. He was he's such a talented guy and um but it was so hard with Toby. You can't think that I mean Jimmy was uh had no circumspection about he couldn't have talked about himself as a nerd because he wouldn't have thought of himself as anything like that. It was even more naive, you know. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the actor Donald Logue. Uh, among his literally dozens of film and television credits is the new FX series Terriers. And uh, the film The Tao of Steve, which is uh, very broadly beloved. I want to play a scene, uh, Donald, uh, from The Tao of Steve. This is you explaining uh, the power of Steve's, uh, your character explaining the power of Steve's while sitting with some friends at a poker game. Mm. Sorry, sorry I'm late. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just pay in, Steve. Yeah, Thanks, Steve. All right. Thanks, guy. Hey, why does he always get a hey, Steve, and all I ever get is a hey, guy? What is this Steve anyways? Nothing. It's just, um, you know, it has to do with that stuff I was telling you about picking up women. Well, who's Steve? (laughs) Steve. Steve, man. Come on. Steve is the prototypical cool American male. You know what I'm talking about? Steve McGarrett. All right. Steve uh, Austin. Steve McQueen. So, uh, anybody whose name's Steve is a Steve. No, Steve's not a name. Dude, Steve is a state of mind. It's a way of living, you know what I'm saying? Like, James Bond is a Steve, man. Like, uh, Spider-Man is a Steve. Michael Jordan is a Steve. Touche, right? All right, all right. Okay, so if I'm not a Steve, then what am I? You're a... You're a... You're a... You're a stew. It's a movie I really love. It's a really wonderful movie. Um, And... And I think it's your performance that that sort of makes the movie, um, and it, it sort of marks this quality that you've brought to a lot of roles, which is 
um, which is a, a combination of groundedness and uh, sort of airy float away into spaceness that I think is kind of unique. You know, it's the premise of this film is that your your character embodies, despite being a little bit schlubby, embodies those qualities that a woman would love to see in a man, which are about not caring and being great. Yes, exactly. Essentially, you know, it was interesting how Duncan first described um, landing upon the Tao of Steve because he had grown up in the D.C. area, and then he went to St. John's, that kind of great thinkers, great book school out in New Mexico and Santa Fe. And he was in some bar in the Georgetown area, and there was like a really attractive, really bright woman, and she was um, arguing politics with these guys, or really discussing politics because they were all in complete agreement with her. And he just kind of summarily dismissed whatever she was saying. And, and But it was bright. Like, it was just caustic, but it was on point, and it was completely – it was strong. And then he abruptly left to go smoke a cigarette outside. And this floored her because it was like he backed it up with, like, real intelligence. And then he wasn't – he was the one guy that wasn't sycophantically kind of dancing around her. And he was like, oh, you know, that kind of was everything. It was like, be desireless. It was all about the politics, you know, be excellent, be intelligent, be whatever it is that you are, and then be gone and uh, make yourself scarce. And so because she came out, you know, chasing him out in the parking lot and and uh, I've never actually I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of this that makes a lot of sense and can be applied to many different things in life. It's I'm a bit, you know, it's like, Duncan, you thought way too much about codifying (laughs) all this stuff, but um you know, it was a fascinating journey, that film, and it just chimed so true with me, and it wasn't smugly one line. I mean, it's to this day still, it's remarkable that what you run across, it, it there's um, the organic quality seems to be missing of just pure thought. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by VG Kids, printers of t-shirts and other merchandise for touring bands, radio stations, websites, festivals, derby girls, record labels, national brands, and all the rabble-rousers, hackers, and entrepreneurs in between. Online at VGKids.com. And Ask Metafilter, thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. Do you live in Denver, Colorado, or environs? Well, I've got good news for you. We're having a Max Fun meetup. Teresa and I are going to be in town for the Public Radio Program Directors Conference. And so we're having a meetup on Thursday, September 23rd from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at Sweet Action Ice Cream. You can meet us and meet other Max Funsters from the Denver area. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be a nice time. We'll have some ice cream. From what I understand... These people have uh, Sound of Young America and Jordan Jesse Go bumper stickers on their cash register, so they're true blue fans. Again, if you're in Denver, join us at Sweet Action Ice Cream from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on Thursday, September 23rd. Thursday, September 23rd, 5.30 to 7, for the Max Fun Meetup. I hope I'll see you there. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, you can join me and my friend Merlin Mann for Make Your Thing. Merlin will be introducing my talk, which is about making independent media in the age of the Internet. It includes valuable information like my 12-point system for absolutely 100% guaranteed success. The show is Friday, September 17th at 10 p.m. at the Dark Room Theater on Mission Street. Again, Friday, September 17th at 10 p.m. Tickets are on sale now, and there are very few left. 
If things sell out, there should be at least a couple of tickets available at the door. You can find more information by going to MaximumFun.org and clicking on Make Your Thing in the right-hand side of the blog under Live Shows. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. Uh, my guest is the actor Donal Logue. He's featured on the new FX series Terriers. In this clip, uh, his character, ex-cop Hank Dalworth, and his business partner, Britt Pollock, who's played by his real-life friend Michael Raymond James, are driving around town discussing how to market their fledgling private investigator business through business cards and maybe a mascot. What day is it? Is it, is it Monday or Tuesday? I don't know. I could check my phone, but it's in my pocket. I think this Linda's case is going to bring us a lot of attention. I kind of smell an opportunity. Is that what that smell is? I think we should make up business cards. What, put on windows of Or hand out so people don't think we're just panhandling. What do we call ourselves, Dalworth and Pollock, private investigators? Beats Dalworth and Pollock, shovelers. Hey, do we need a mascot? Like what? You know, like the Trix Rabbit or Tony the Tiger or something. Nah, those are for cereals. And taken. That's true, but I'm just, whatever, they're examples of mascots. Like, something that identifies us, that, that tells people that we're pretty kick-ass, you know? Like a dragon, maybe. Dragons are kick-ass. Yeah, but they also get slayed. Are you joking? No, I'm not joking. I'm saying a guy in a fedora or, you know, a magnifying glass, something like that. Something that tells people that once we're on a case, man, we never quit. All right. Yeah? I got nothing. Me neither. My guest, Donal Logue, on Terriers on FX. One of the things that resonated for me about Terriers is it has this classic detective theme, which is that your character has lost everything that is important to him and is sort of trying to figure out what's important when he's lost everything that's important, what he should try and get back. And it's it's a little bit like that kind of cut-loose freedom of uh, saying, making a clever remark and leaving. Um, it's sort of it, it, it's sort of an uh, an untethered quality. Yes, I I and I don't know if this was exactly their intention or a little bit of what I bring to it, or vice versa. But there's this existential freedom that you get when whatever it might be, like someone who gets sober because yeah, it's the right thing to do, but really what they want is the wife back or the job, or the kids, or the prestige, or the, or the re- you know, and there's things like your reputation, your wife, your home, this, and who you are in this community, and once you, there's kind of this freedom in when you lose those things, and you stop chasing them, and I think he's always kind of, I think Hank's like morally a, a fairly righteous guy, but I think it's just like when he finally realizes that that's gone, he has this kind of, he's free to act, you know, and why not, and um and he's luckily he's got this Sancho Panza character who's willing to fight windmills with him, you know, and and in um in Brit Pollock, played by Michael Raymond James, really brilliantly and and you know, I I I thought, wow, what a great you know, what a great thing. And it's it's weird because I, I'm not a huge I am a fan of the detective genre. I'm not the kind of guy that reads all the books and um you know, and I think about Chinatown, what's funny is when you realize Later, when you watch Chinatown when you're young, just because Jake is wearing a suit 
you think maybe he's got his stuff together, but then you realize, no, everybody just wears suits at that time. He's This dude is as low rent as it gets at that point, you know? And he, it's similar in that way that he's he's a pretty low rent private investigator who has 150 opportunities to get off the train the more dangerous it gets, and he just can't. And I think, oh, wow, you know, there's a little bit of... Um, there's a little bit of Chinatown homage. It has to be in, in Terriers. So, uh, and at the same, and what I like about it too is that, increasingly, I mean, we're Luddites in this thing, and and uh, the private eyes. I know, you know, a lot of it's like we'll start with Facebook and let's go on these websites where we can try, you know, let's see where the money comes from, and it's like we're we're not doing any of that stuff. We're kind of just doing real gumshoey kind of little. We have these tricks and gags that we use to get information or whatever it is and it's it's kind of fun in that way it's a tone that i haven't seen on television much before when when i was watching the first episode i was thinking um i i was thinking well this is gonna this is interesting like i think donald Logue is is charming and funny and um this is going to be like a charming funny rockford filesy you know usa network um detective show uh but it's it it gets a lot darker. Yeah, it <laughs> there's does. a lot of without without losing those funny bits. Yeah, no, I think it I think it's organic. But what what was interesting the trajectory is from from and I'm and I'm glad that you brought that up and I'm glad that you saw a couple down the line. The the pilot it it had those elements in it and I felt it was poignant when it needed to be poignant. It's funny and. Um, and it could, and and I think I think we all were like, which way are we going to go? Because I think the whole Gomez pool, Gomez brothers, is a little. It walks on a kind of wacky line. That's like, if we start pushing in that direction too much, we've lost it in that direction. And and then when we came back for the the second episode, I think Michael and I thought a little bit like, oh, we've they've chosen, they've put their hat in the ring of kind of the wackiness a little bit, and it's okay. You know, this isn't our. This isn't our. Um, we're not the uh, the kind of engineers of this train, and 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 then we found him. Luckily, we had I think Clark Johnson, who's a really great director, who um, an actor who directed a lot of the wires and the pilot of the shield, and he's just very comfortable in pretty heavy duty dramatic territory, always fighting to kind of keep it on the other side of the reel. And then as as episodes three, four, and five come along, the train that feels most natural to us is the one that starts going down a road where the stakes are a bit, a bit higher, you know? I, I was reading a conversation with uh, uh, the creators of the show, Sean Ryan, and uh, forgive me. Um, uh, Ted Griffin. I, I read a conversation between them, and, and I read something very interesting, which was that they had proposed sort of as a rule on the show that, um, th- that uh, your two lead characters could try and be funny with each other, um, but that the show would not be funny, mm-hmm. which is to say that the two of you guys are lighthearted guys who are close friends right. and joke with each other. Right. But there's nothing. There are no. There are never. You know, no buckets fall on people's heads or. Yeah. No. I like mean, we that. have a couple of lines that I think are clearly written with comic intent. You know, but I think that's that. That was. You know, it was a great relief for me because. Um, what you know the it, it, and it's a weird kind of mixed bag because when I did the cab driver, I got established as kind of a, a funny guy, you know, as as kind of um, one of those guys who got a, ends up on lists where people are like, let him do 
shows where he's in charge and it's a comedy and it, and it was I was writing them and I wasn't writing anything to be intentionally funny I was a, I was deeply in character and I didn't understand there was a huge disconnect between writing hahas and and getting so into character that things just ended up being funny and and you that you ended up working for for many years on a, a live audience sitcom grounded for yeah, life yeah. where you were where you were playing what you play on a live audience sitcom, which is you find laugh moments and hit them so that the audience yeah. laughs. Well, it was interesting because um, I loved that experience and I, I loved that show. And for a lot of reasons, after the Tao of Steve, I actually had a huge break because I won the Best Actor at Sundance. And I had all those things. I, after 38 movies or something, people are – big people are like, is this your first movie? Who are you? We'd like right. to put you in these things. And, and they discover you, you know. And you said, maybe you've never seen a little film called Sneakers. Yeah, you know, you, the, none of that matters, right? So all of the Gettysburgs and Sneakers and this and that. And so um, – but I realized, look, if I'm not – if I'm on the road all the time, I'm never going to be around my children. I got two little boys. So part of it was I did Grounded for Life, and I knew I'd be home. You don't know what's going to happen, but I had five years on it, which was great. But I told them when we met Carsey Warner, I said, look, like like the Tao of Steve, which I don't think was super heady fair. I said, the comedy plays easy. It's just, it's one camera. I'm not a audience guy. I don't know how to, I'm not good like that. And they were like, we totally get it, where there's no audience. One of the things that I think the show really trusts is uh, the re- the relationship between you and your and your partner Britt, who's played by Michael Raymond James, and and I know that the the two of you knew each other somewhat before the show. I know you were also cast first. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how that relationship between you off stage made you feel comfortable, or I should say off screen. Um, made you yeah. feel comfortable to play that real easy relationship well, we're, on we're, screen. We're friends for sure but i have to say because people will say oh you're friends and i have a lot of friends and and even in music there used to be that expression great guys bad band but my first the first thing that drew me to to uh, michael was his acting and we were doing this show called life with uh damian lewis and sarah shahi and he and and um rachel minor who are both she's also in the pilot um they played this this kind of this real weird kind of Tex Watts in the '60s couple that was kind of Manson esque, and I was like, "Who, who is this guy? This guy unabashedly he's he's an actor. Like this guy really, it's not indulgent. It's not full of himself. It's it's just these guys got craft, and he's 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 fascinating kind of character to me, and and I was actually hired to um, adapt Big Sur, the Kerouac novel, as a screenplay, which I, which I did. And, um, and at the time, though, I think I had a draft due in a day or two, and we were doing an all-night shoot on life. So I was kind of in the middle of things, frantically sitting there with Big Sur and going over the script, and he asked me what was going on and what I was up to, and we bonded over this, this book in a kind of unique way. And I knew immediately, I'm like, and I'm kind of like that, in life. And I think Michael is too. He's, he's a bit of a kind of an easygoing traveler and a bit of a gypsy. And it's like, I met, I met a kind of brother, you know, that I know that whether I see him in 10 years or five years or we keep in touch or don't, it doesn't matter. How's the adventure going for you? He's in that core group of people that I, I hold close to myself and I think about. And, you know, so when Terriers came around, 
and I was the first one cast, and it was up to me to read against everybody, and so I went in to, to meet these guys who could be Brit, and Michael was sitting there, and I just knew, and I'm, you know, probably bummer for some of the other guys, but it was like like two long lost brothers seeing each other again, and, um, you know, and it was mostly because of his talent, of course, because of his heart, and, and he's my best friend, and we, uh, you know, we went down, and when we shot the show, we rented a house on the beach, and we both lived in the same house, and you know, we were like two, two, two college roommates doing this project together. But, um, and it was hard for them to cast him at first because even though it was so obvious that we had this rapport, he has a lot of weight to him. It was really supposed to be like the, the gravitas of the old curmudgeon guy. And then this young, much younger, maybe like the, the, it, it had to be kind of a, broader juxtaposition than there was between Michael and I in a way we were almost too centered and close to each other but you know he got the part and and thank god you know he's a great guy to work with and he's just a good human being well Dono thank you so much for uh, taking all this time and energy to be on this no thank you thank you so much It it was a real pleasure to be here Donal Logue is the star of the new FX series Terriers it airs Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. The show is edited by Nick White, our associate producer, Julia Smith, our intern, Christian Natividad. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, and you can always email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org. On our website, you'll find not only the free podcast of this program, but our other shows, like our sister comedy programs, Jordan, Jesse, Go and Stop Podcasting Yourself, and the Casper Hauser Comedy Podcast, and the Coil and Sharp Podcast, for that matter. We've got all kinds of great stuff, absolutely for free, downloadable, and streamable at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next time, right here on The Sound of Young America. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. The Sound of Young America is looking for a fall intern. You have to be in the Los Angeles area and be willing to commit to 15 to 20 hours a week here at the Max Fun office. You'll learn all kinds of cool stuff. You can find more information, including information about how to apply at MaximumFun.org internships. MaximumFun.org internships. Apply as soon as possible.